brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Um, now, we've talked previously about child marriage and girls being taken from their homes and families at a young age to be married off. Mm-hmm. But we didn't really address what happens to young boys in some of these uh, traditional societies and tribal cultures. So yes. I think today we are going to talk about the Bacha Bazi of Afghanistan, the dancing boys who are taken from their homes and forced to basically perform for much wealthier men. Right. Because like you said, while we were researching the child brides, even though we focused all the conversation on the girls, I think it's very important when we're talking about sex trafficking, sexual slavery, early marriage, just the sexual exploitation of minors in general. Um, it is important to talk about what might be happening to boys. And uh, Bacha Bazi is literally translated boy play. And this is something that um, happens in Afghanistan. We're focusing the conversation just on Afghanistan today, not to say that that young boys aren't sexually exploited elsewhere. But this is a cultural practice that's been going on for thousands of years. And uh, in recent years, there's been more media attention on Bachabazi because uh, some people are concerned that there has been a resurgence in this practice because of warfare and, um, I guess, the re- restriction of the Taliban regime, which we'll get into a little bit later. Right. Um, this practice involves boys as young as 11 being sold by their families to entertain wealthy merchants and warlords. Um, these men dress the boys in women's clothing and train them to sing and dance. But in many cases, the boys are also abused sexually. And the reason why these boys will are, are asked to dress or made to dress up like women and dance is because in in these Islamic communities, very hardline Islamic communities, women and men uh, who aren't married are not allowed to interact at all. So these young boys serve as sort of like proxy figures for for women. And in the Pashtun region in uh, southern Afghanistan in particular, uh, military forces that have gone in have observed this. Uh, the UN, uh, different NGOs have, have noted that the male relationships in a lot of these communities, because they're so gender segregated, the bonds between the men are often extreme. There is a lot of um, kind of latent homosexuality that happens and also Bachubaza and the boy play, which um, I think, you know, is it's important to uh, categorize away from just homosexuality. Right. Um, a lot of different uh, articles written about this stress that because women and men are so segregated, that men often have to uh, find substitutes for that companionship that they might experience with a girlfriend or a wife. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't get to really experience the affection of a woman because most boys um, in this region are sort of separated from their mothers around age seven, and they become basically the the responsibility solely of their fathers. Um, So they don't really get to witness uh, a woman's affection. And grow up, uh, you know, experiencing women normally. Yeah, I mean, I think we should also point out that historically, you know, Afghanistan is not the only place where something like this happens. For instance, uh, the Greeks had dancing boys uh, in the 
in the ancient days. Uh, but the Taliban has kind of an, an, a tricky relationship with this Bachabazi practice because officially the Taliban who, who controlled Afghanistan for a long time until 2001 when they were ousted, uh, by U.S. forces, uh, they tried to erase pedophilia from the Pashtun culture in particular, but, and they did that through the Ministry for the Promotion of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice. And you can imagine this is like, I mean, the hardline Islamic, this isn't exactly, uh, the most progressive, um, uh, force. But then when the U.S. led the invasion of Afghanistan in 2001 and ousted the Taliban, there's this notion that since that, that ministry, uh, for the promotion of virtue and prevention of vice is gone, then that's led the way and opened the doors to Bachibazi becoming more widespread. But at the same time, it might have just pushed it sort of under the carpet a little bit because there was an LA Times article about, uh, Bachibazi saying that the Taliban still carried on with these boys, with this boy play, but they kept it in secret and hid them in the madrasas or the religious schools. Right. It wasn't as out in the open. People didn't talk about it. They weren't parading their young boys around in the streets or anything like that. But if they're pushing it, I mean, (laughs) not. I hope this doesn't sound too controversial, but when I read that, talking about pushing uh, this form of pedophilia and these all-male kind of cordoned off groups in religious schools kind of reminded me of, of the Catholic church scandals that have gone on. Yeah. Because there, you know, and, and the, the main response that came after that was, well, there need to be more female. There needs to be more female leadership and accountability within the Catholic church as a way to um, possibly prevent that kind of molestation was going on there seems like it's a similar kind of case, possibly in the the madrasas. Right. And a lot of these um, bacha dancers are often abused children whose families have rejected them. Mm -hmm. A lot of this, you know, we talked in the child bride episode about um, families who didn't really have another option. They needed the money. They're they're in societies experiencing civil strife. They don't have a lot of money. Uh, so they ended up selling their daughters or, you know, just receiving a large dowry. And it's sort of a similar situation with the Bacha dancers. Um, they're usually released at age 19, but at that point they've spent most of their childhood performing for men. Mm-hmm. Um, and at age 19, they're basically expected to go get married, reclaim their status as men. Although, you know, there's a lasting stigma attached to being one of these dancers. And sometimes they'll even keep this practice within the family where, uh, say, a husband will get himself a, a bacha, like mm-hmm. a young beardless boy. And then once the child grows up, he might have the bacha marry one of his daughters. Right. Keep it in the family. Yeah. And then the cycle just continues. Right. And they, some of the boys that were interviewed when they said, okay, you're about to grow up, get out of this practice, what are you going to do? And a lot of them said that they wanted to get their own either Bachabazi or a whole group of them. Mm-hmm. The word stable was tossed around a lot. Like they actually wanted to make enough money and have enough resources to have a stable of young dancing boys that they could keep and have at parties. Sure, because it's now become associated with um status mm-hmm. in a lot of these groups where they'll even have, um say, like, local commanders or will have uh 
their boys, their individual boys, kind of compete to see who is the best boy. Right. And it's a source of pride for these uh, for these men. Yeah, it's very common among um, powerful commanders. A, uh, a former senior Mujahideen commander said he got a boy because every commander had one and he wanted to be able to compete. I mean, this just sounds like they're talking about fancy cars instead mm-hmm. of actual people. Right. Um, there's uh, sort of a creepy, very creepy quote from uh, a Bachavazi pimp who they call the German because his mustache was blonde. Uh, he said, I go to every province to have happiness and pleasure with boys. And he points out that when some of the boys aren't good for dancing, they'll be used for other purposes. And it took the reporter, this was from a, a Frontline, a PBS documentary, um, after he was pressed for what these other purposes were, he said, I mean for sodomy and other sexual activities. Right. And a lot of times if they, uh, if these boys resist, uh, they might be killed. Right. When a reporter talked with some of the dancing boys, um, a 13 year old offered that uh, some of them are killed if they stray. He said, if you don't please them, they will beat you and people get killed. And in fact, uh, a 15 year old was reportedly murdered after trying to escape from his master, a well-known drug baron and warlord. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a police officer, actually, who supplied the weapon that killed the boy. Um, and while he was sentenced yeah, to 16 years, he got out after only a few months. Well, and that theme comes up a lot too, Caroline, where there are these, uh, police officials who might be involved in facilitating this. Uh, there are, uh, government officials who are actually in charge of preventing sexual exploitation who have been found at these, uh, Bachabazi parties. And, uh, in a very depressing note to this story, there was a WikiLeaks cable. Uh, from Afghanistan that was released revealing that the U- a U.S. government contractor, DynCor, threw a party for Afghan security recruits with Bachabazi. Yeah. They, they brought in, actually like threw a party, brought in the beardless boys to dance and entertain them. Uh, that is. And that's using taxpayer money. That's terrifying. Yeah. Well, the U.N. Special Representative for Children in Armed Conflict calls this whole thing a form of slavery, rightly so. And uh, she calls for the prosecution of the men for participating because, you know, using using the reasoning of we're not going to get them to stop by asking. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get them to stop by saying, hey, wouldn't you like to go bowling instead? <laughs> right. It's You know, it's hard to root out a practice that has been in place for centuries. Right. Um, but, you know, she says this, that we need to prosecute these people um, and really punish them. But, you know, the reporter that the PBS reporter um, witnessed local police officers at an illegal Bachabazi party. So it, it is very widespread and part of the culture. Yeah. And we haven't been able to put offer any any statistics for precisely how many boys, Afghan boys are um, involved in this because it's so kind of shrouded in secrecy. It's like people acknowledge that it happens, but they're not going to name any names and they're not going to share any kinds of details. Even on, I mean, I went on YouTube before we came in the, uh, into the studio and there, there are public videos of the boys, of the boys dancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nothing sexually explicit. It's, it's Afghan boys dress up like women dancing like women um, and surrounded by, uh, by dozens of older bearded men. Right. Yeah. The, uh, there was a, an article in the guardian, um, where one young dancer said men like women and they're not available. So we act like women. Mm-hmm. And that just goes back to the segregation of the society. And right. so if you want to look at a 
pretty lady dancing, but that's just not an option. Um, I guess they, they make their own entertainment using uh, children. And in seeking to explain the, the roots, the cultural roots of this practice, aside from just pure gender segregation, um, there was a port, a report put out by the, uh, the U.S. military's human terrain team that had gone into, um, Afghanistan and was particularly focused on the, uh, the Pashtun region. And it noted that uh, Kandahar's Kandahar province's long artistic and poetic tradition idealizes or idolizes, I should say, uh, the beardless boy as the icon of physical beauty. And 19th century British authors reported their observation of Pashtun fighters seeing poetic odes of longing for young boys. And it was kind of that that does sort of echo, uh, you know, similar kinds of things that we see back with, uh, like they said earlier, with the, the Greeks doing similar Similar, similarly exalting the young, uh, prepubescent boy. Um, and then in an article from San Francisco Gate from 2010, sociologists and anthropologists attribute the problem to, again, going back to Islam, to perverse interpretations of Islamic law. Right. The, I think the human terrain team, uh, report also kind of talked about how, um, it's not Islam saying necessarily that it's okay to be doing these things. Right. It's, it's local interpretations. And they sort of talked about how, um, much of the local populace does not read the Quran, that it's sort of interpreted for them mm-hmm. by local authorities. And so, you know, when that stuff gets ingrained in a, in a society, in a region, it's sort of hard to, um, break away from it. Right. And that's why I think it is important to, um, you know, to emphasize that Bachabazi is not an Islamic practice. And on, on the upside, there does seem to be a, a greater effort by NGOs, um, to call more attention to this and try to, stop this sexual exploitation of young boys. Um, for instance, in January of this year, 2011, the United Nations assistance mission in Afghanistan uh, and their national action plan addressed the recruitment of underage children into the national Afghan national security forces and the sexual exploitation of children by government officials, security forces, and civil society. Because this is sort of a a joint effort to stop the recruitment of uh, child soldiers in the area Mm -hmm. and also sexual violence against children, which would include Bachu Bazi. Right, and they sort of... uh... They, they talk about boys being recruited at a very young age into the military as part of this whole taking them away from their mothers, taking right. them away from any female influence. And what it kind of sounds like to me, Kristen, is that these reports and these articles are sort of insinuating that a female presence is what sort of is lacking. Mm-hmm. And that if there were more of a female presence, perhaps some of these horrific things wouldn't be happening. But because women are considered unclean, dirty, to be avoided, to be totally removed, um, that they are actually exposed to more violence. And mm-hmm. boys don't get to see their mothers, their sisters being treated like normal people. They are instead treated like dogs, basically. Right. right. And it only perpetuates um, that cycle. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that about sums it up. Bachi Bazi. Mm-hmm. It was something that I had not heard of until um, last week when... A friend of ours actually sent us an email. She listened to the Child Brides episode mm-hmm. and said, hey, you guys should talk about Bachabazi. Right. Because, yeah, it's not just small girls who are being exploited all over the world. 
It's boys too. Yeah. And this is just one, um, it's important to put this, I think, in the, in the broader context of sex trafficking and sex slavery mm-hmm. that is unfortunately happening all over the world, not just in Afghanistan, not just in, uh, the East, but also here in the United States. Right. And if you well. want to, um, learn more about it, I really recommend going to, um, the PBS website and looking up Achabazi. Um, they have, the transcript of the report, they have a video you can watch. They have a conversation with the reporter and the producer. It's all really interesting, and it's something that I had never heard of. Yeah, and I'll I'll toss the link up on Facebook Great. so people can easily check it out. And if you would like to send us an email about Bachabazi, our email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And I have just one email here to read. This is in response to a recent episode on... Women in Science. And this is from Roberto. Said, I just listened to the Women in Science episodes as I was washing dishes. I know, (laughs) I'm a man's man. And although I heard a few familiar names, I also didn't hear others, so I thought maybe I'd share some of my own favorites in case you happen to do some follow-up installment later on. Emily Du Chatelet, who contributed the square in Einstein's E equal MC squared equation. Lise Meitner, uh, who proved Einstein's theory of matter-energy equivalence. Uh, Carolyn Porco, who is a planetary scientist, also known as Ms. Ms. Saturn. Uh, Susan Greenfield, although she's been putting her foot in her mouth recently with her ideas about the impact of modern media on young brains. Sarah Blaffer Hardy, and that's Hardy without any vowel. It's just H-R-D-Y, not a typo. Anthropologist and primatologist. And there's Lita Cosmides. I think I really butchered that one. If you ever want to correct us, you can just go on Facebook. She's a leading evolutionary psychologist, though, so I should probably know how to pronounce her name and also be able to cite her work since evolutionary psychology comes up so often. And then we have Hypatia, who was one of the first mathematicians in the ancient world. And she was also killed by a riotous group of people who threw bricks at her because they were not too happy that one of the leading mathematicians <laughs> at the time was a woman. Don't be scared. Don't women, be scared. women who like math. They're, it's great. It is great. You should not stone them to death. And thanks, Roberto, for sending this list of uh, of female scientists and thinkers and mathematicians. Keep them coming, folks. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And you can always visit us over on Facebook. Like us. Follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And you can head over to our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?